didn't know how I was going to feel getting up here. John, you, uh, John, you said it well. It's a little bit surreal, full of all kinds of different just emotions, being able to see your face. Um, I, I began this morning with a couple of thank yous during our prayer time. And when I stand up here for the first time kind of publicly to kind of address the teaching as we're getting into this road trip series, I want to thank just the incredible team that we have who has put time and effort and energy. Do I need to switch, John, or are we good? It's it's not really a gathering until the mic doesn't work and I can't say what I want to say and 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 I that that mic wasn't working and I was roaming earlier all the way around here and I was like John I don't want to be put in a box today so guess what I'm out of the box now I'm out of the box so so we 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 joke about that but here here's here's what I want to say and here's what the very first thing I want you to hear from me. You are loved by God. You are not alone, and you haven't been forgotten. The whole reason Generations Church started and has come into existence, the reason why this ministry center is here, and the why this is, John, beckoned us to what's next, is because people all around us, maybe even you here this morning, are asking, where are you, God? Where are you? I don't always feel you. I don't see you. I look around at the circumstances and experience of life, and I wonder, where are you? And my hope and my prayer is that the people of Generations Church who follow Jesus, where they live, work, and play, are a tangible reminder that they are not alone, that we each other are not alone, that we are loved and have not been forgotten. And we do this because of Jesus so that the next generation will be told about the Lord and be reminded that they are loved and have not been forgotten. And so while there's all kinds of different emotions and feelings, I, I even look around the room, and I, it's, it's one of those moments where it, I feel like when you, maybe you moved into a new house or to a new apartment, and you got some stuff in, like, boxes, and you're like trying to figure out where it goes and how is it going to look right there. And you're kind of unpacking in transition. Uh, some of this morning probably feels a little bit like that. You're going to notice some things around the room. Maybe you haven't noticed some things around the room. But I want you to know we're going to continue to kind of change and tweak as we put some things in some places, move, unpack a little bit, get settled you know, and it even, we, it's weird because I was looking out in the room this morning and I was like, it doesn't even feel quite real yet. L like, like, it's like, I mean, like I was using the new house analogy. Like when you step into your new house and you go, like, I'm not quite sure this is mine yet. L like, it almost seems too good to be true. And so I just want to remind you that over the next several weeks, over several months, you'll experience us making some additions, some changing, moving some furniture around. But at the end of the day, what we want to focus our time and attention on is not so much the facility, but it's people.
It's because of Jesus that we're able to look to the lives of people, to care, to hug, handshake, to put an arm around the back, to, to lock arms together and say, we are in this thing called life together. See, well, today is an exciting day. This first gathering in this new space, we have not arrived. This isn't the finish line that we aim to cross. And in some ways, all of the volunteers and generosity that has occurred and will occur in the future to make this place a reality is a signpost towards a future destination. And I think we're on the right track because people have been mobilized to go with God. We are on a journey with God to always move in step with him. It's a road trip of sorts. That's why I, this first series in this ministry center is road trip because the journey doesn't stop here our goal is to go with God and so over the next several weeks we're going to go on a road trip with God and the Israelite nation because God is on the move and his people are on the move and so if you hear anything as we work through this book of numbers I hope you hear this go with God because God's on the go. Go with God, because God is on the go. Now, some of you are a little bit sarcastic and a little bit, you know, quick-witted, are probably like, well, where is God going? If God is on the go, where, where is God going? You, had, you, you probably wanted to respond that to me. Well, in this numbers account, we will see God take his people from the foot of Mount Sinai to a promised land to be faithful to who he is and what he has called them to do. And for those of you who have no idea what I just said, it sounded like I was speaking gibberish, Mount Sinai, promised land, don't worry, we're going to fill you in on the store on the way to help you gain access to what God is doing in this unique time and place. We're going to help you get a better grasp of the story. And so the book of Numbers sometimes gets a bad rap because even as John probably said that you're like numbers is all it is just a long list of book of just numbers and like math I don't like math you know arithmetic like I don't want to count stuff you know some of you like math and you're like huh this could be really interesting well it's interesting because the book of numbers that title is almost a misnomer the, the the Hebrew title is actually in the wilderness See, the, the people of God who are journeying with God are, are in a time of transition. And the book in the wilderness gives the setting and their location of where they find themselves. And the wilderness is not a place where they are supposed to dwell. It's not their final resting spot. It's not the end destination. But in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of a, plan of, a place of desolation, of distractions, of difficulty, God is with them. And he is moving with them, taking them on a journey because he's reminding them about who he is, what he has done, and what he has invited them into. And he also wants to cultivate in them a character to represent him to the nations. So because this family the Israelite family, the family that, that we're looking at through this story in this Old Testament, was to represent God 
to the people around them. But in order to do that well, God had to deal with some things in their heart. He had to take them on a journey to say, you need to look to me, not your temporary surroundings. Because in the wilderness, it's a place of difficulty, distraction. Maybe you have found your place, place yourself just in the last year recently in a place of like wilderness where it feels dry and desolate, where it feels confusing, where you're like, I want to have some answers. I want to know what's next, but you're not quite sure what that is. Maybe, maybe you've been distracted. Wherever you find yourself, the reminder for the book of Numbers is God is with you wherever you go. So we want to go with God. And so this book is pivotal and crucial for the people of God, th this story, because there are all sorts of obstacles and trials that want to prevent them, and I think us as well, from going with God. It's not just the destination that's important. It's also the cliched journey. It's because in the wilderness, in our dry spots, in our moments of difficulty, the moments when we just feel distracted or distraught. Let's see how many D words I can throw in right there. <laughs> we learn who we are. And we learn who God is. So how will we go with God? And the character of the God we go with is vitally important. So where is God going? God is going towards people. He wants to take this family and plant them in a place to represent himself to other people. God always takes a group of people and he plants them in a place to be surrounded by others so they can represent him to the people around them. See, where you find yourself, where you live, work, and play is no accident. It's not happenstance. It's not circumstance, it's not occasion. I believe continually it's by divine intervention, it's by divine guidance that God steps in and leads you to a place, to a people, so that you can represent him to, to others. So how will you represent, what type of God are you going to represent? Well, in this book of Numbers, the people of God this family, is learning how to represent God well. So now, for the last year plus, they just were rescued from enslavement out of Egypt. And now, they've made their way to a mountain called Mount Sinai. And they've been rooted here. And this whole year has been very pivotal because God didn't stay at a distance. He came down and wanted to dwell with them. So all these things happen at the end of the book of Exodus and Leviticus and the start of Numbers is all about God basically being from a distance and actually stepping down and having a physical place to dwell amongst the people. So the, the end of Exodus, Leviticus, the two books prior to Numbers are all about orienting all these people around God's presence so he can dwell in the midst of them. But now after a year, they are finally ready to head towards the promised land that God said he was going to give them to represent 
him to the nations. And so in Numbers chapter 10, verses 11, it starts saying this. It says, during the second year in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud was lifted, that's God's presence, up above the tabernacle of the testimony where God had dwelt. The Israelites traveled on from the wilderness of Sinai, moving from one place until the next, until the cloud stopped in the wilderness of Paran. They set out for the first time according to Moses, according to the Lord's command through Moses. And then it goes on, for how they pick up and leave. So the journey has begun. Now as the journey begins, as sometimes, it's exciting. It's exhilarating. You're never sure what type of emotions you'll have. Well, we learn what type of emotions and how the, the family of God, how, how Israel feels, because what do they do? In Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. Now the people began complaining. How did they go? How did the journey start? They began complaining. Are we there yet? It's hot. My feet are tired. There's not enough food. Oh, wait, we're going to get to that. They began complaining openly before the Lord about hardship. It was hot. It was dry. It was desolate. There's a lot of people. I got to carry a lot of stuff. Remember, they've been camped out for a year. So they've been rooted in a place for a year. And now for the first time, they're getting ready to hit the road. So as soon as they hit the road, they're doing something that they're not used to doing. It's a change of pattern. It's a change of habit. And so what do they do? They begin to complain. And God's a little angry. He's a little frustrated with them. And I had John read the last part of the story that we're going to get to here in a moment. Because the, the story's a little perplexing. Because all of this stuff happens, and God's, God's angry. He's upset with the people. We'll, we'll get to why. But God's presence is with his people. The people cried out to Moses, and he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. God's anger kind of ceased for a little while. But then, in verse 4 of Numbers chapter 11, it starts again. I like how the author puts it. The riffraff among them... The riffraff, the everyday people, us, likely, had a strong craving for other food. The Israelites wept again and said, who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt along with the cucumbers, the, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing to look at but this manna. And it goes on and describes what manna is like. And it just didn't taste very good. It's what they describe. And Moses heard the people, family after family, weeping at the entrance of their tents. They were distraught because the food wasn't how it was in Egypt. And the Lord was very angry. And Moses was provoked. And Moses is upset because he's leading this group of people on this journey. It's kind of like being a dad on a road trip, <laughs> being the driver. I need my water. 
I need some snacks. By the way, does anyone have a snack, like favorite snack for a road trip? Talk, Tara said Taco Bell. It's, it's, not, it's not a snack. It's a meal. Uh, uh, come on. Okay, audience participation time. Let's go. What Beef jerky. Mike and Ike's. Dried fruit. Okay. <laughs> Mac and cheese. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I don't So, candy. Candy. Uh, it was about four years ago when my family and I packed up a Penske and began to head across the country. Man, see, the tr Siri's trying to order candy for me right now. I heard you, <laughs> whoever it was. We packed up the, the Penske and began to drive across the country. And we had our, we had our snacks. Like, and ours was Cajun trail mix like, and sunflower seeds. And not just any sunflower seeds, it was the barbecue flavored ones. And I had my green tea. In the Penske, in the front row, that's what I had. Now, the kids had all kinds of things, but I was, I was in the Penske by myself. And so all day, you know, eight hours, 12 hours a day, you drive, and, and we'd stop, and I had to refill my snacks. But after a week of driving for extended hours and, and outside of meals, eating barbecue sunflower seeds, Cajun trail mix, and Lipton green tea, i got to be honest, it kind of lost its luster. Like, it, it, was, it was almost nauseating to, like, eat the same thing again and again. I was like, man, this is good, but I almost, when we finally pulled in to where our apartment was to unload, I was almost like, I don't want to see another bag of Cajun trail mix or barbecue sunflower seeds or, or green tea. And it got me thinking, as, as, we, as we think about this road trip, as, as we think about this journey, the snacks... The, the food that the Israelites had were never, was never meant to satisfy. The snacks that I would eat on my road trip wasn't meant to satisfy. I needed actual food because Cajun trail mix and barbecue sunflower seeds and Lipton green tea doesn't have all the nourishment I need to have energy. I know, right? Surprising. It didn't have all the nourishment I need to have energy, to have joy, to be alert, which is scary driving across country. You need to be, need to be, need to be alert on a road trip. Probably a good idea. But it didn't have all the nourishment I needed. It wasn't, the snacks weren't aimed or meant to satisfy. The Israelites are complaining about the manna and not having meat. They wanted something that satisfied. And what they were complaining about wasn't just that the food wasn't good. They were complaining about God because he was taking them on a journey. So they're sat they were seeking satisfaction and something that was temporary, something that was supposed to remind them of a greater and more important truth. That God's presence who was with them was supposed to be able to be with them, take them on the journey, and provide the substance and satisfaction they needed. The reminder that they needed that their dwelling in the wilderness was just temporary. It wasn't their final resting place. He was taking them to a land, as the scripture says, that was flowing with milk and honey. 
That's where God was taking them, a place where they could find rest, where they could have peace, because God was with them, and he was fulfilling what he was taking them on. And so what they were supposed to bring along the journey, the manna wasn't supposed to satisfy. But God is a good God because they cry out for meat, and they're complaining, so they're looking back, and they're going, why can't it be like Egypt? God's like, okay, I'll give you some meat. And because I'm a God of provision, and I'm a God of abundance, I'm not just going to give you a little bit of quail, you know, to, to wet, the, wet the appetite. No, I'm going to give you so much quail that it's going to float over the ground for a day in every direction, and it's just going to be so, so much. And we get to the end of Numbers chapter 11, and it says, A wind sent by the Lord came up and blew quail, in from the sea. It dropped them all around the camp. They were flying three feet off the ground for about a day's journey in every direction. The people were up all that day and night and all the next day gathering quail. So much quail. But what's interesting is we get a shocking and surprising ending because the author says to this account in their journey, while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the Lord's anger burned against the people. And it says later on that the people were buried there because they had died, because they had craved meat. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, there was so much quail. They wanted food to satisfy. They're in transition. They're looking for something to help them cope, so they seek out food. And God is so angry with them because they think something in their stomach will provide them the comfort they cannot find in their present situation. See, comfort food only lasts so long. And when you try to satisfy yourself with a snack, the snack never lasts. The snack was to hold us over for the real thing. And it's surprising and ending because there's so much quail. They gather so much. It's as if to say, they think it's going to run out. They gather so much because they think it's going to run out. And, the, and it's this cultural idiom that says, when the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, There was a plague, and they died. This shocking and surprising ending. It, it's almost as if, God, wh wh what's going on here? Are you petty and vindictive? The people were complaining. They, they want meat, and you give them so much meat. It's like, here, you want it? Indulge. To your heart's content. Is that the type of God we serve? Or is God doing something else? Basically the idea, they had too much, and they continued to feast and feast, that the excess of quail killed them, because they didn't have a refrigerator. And they feared that God's provision might run out. It says, you want it, have it. And they indulge and they indulge. 
and they eat it and eat it to the point that it robs them of the very thing they sought, life. How you build a life. These people are to represent God to the nations. What God is trying to help them understand is that if you try to fill your life, if you try to fill your heart, if you try to satisfy, or not even satisfy, if you try to cope with life through something like food, it will always run out. Or you'll indulge and you'll indulge until it'll eat you actually alive, metaphorically. So what God is trying to remind them is their sustenance, the very source of life themselves comes from him and his presence. See, they were complaining, not that they really just didn't have meat. They were looking at a God and said, God, how could you do this to us? And we were better off being enslaved. And they were complaining about the very character of God that they so desperately wanted to rescue them. So in this complaining, in this rebellion, what God is helping them realize I'm your source. I'm the place that you have to go to for life. And when you complain and when you think that I won't provide for you so much abundance that you have to hoard it, so much bushels and bushels, so much that you have to hoard it for fear that I won't give you enough, well, obviously, it'll kill you. And we get a little insight to where this comes from in Psalm 78. There's a psalmist who reflects on this story. And it says this, But they continue to sin against God, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. They deliberately tested God, demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Is God able to provide food in the wilderness? Look, he struck the walk and water gush out, torrents overflowed, but can he also provide bread or furnish meat for his people? They were doubting God that the very God who rescued them could also provide for them. Every day we are faced with this temptation. In the wilderness sometimes of our daily lives, whether we're distractions or we're distraught, is the same God who says, I love you, you're not alone, you haven't been forgotten. The same God who's strong enough to provide the sustenance, the source, the strength to see you through your every day. And how that lives itself out is are we people that are constantly complaining? Are we people who are grumbling and dissatisfied? Or are we people who are crying out to God and being thankful and gracious for what he has already done and remembering that where we are isn't always the final stop. God is on the go. And we are precisely where he has put us not to stay and sit, but to be sent and to represent him to others. See, God is not petty or vindictive. God is loving, and he has to cultivate himself a people that is loving, that is other-centered, 
that is not self-centered, that thinks and sees quail and says, it might run out, so let me hoard some more. So much so that it's over in abundance. The psalmist of Psalm 78 begins that psalm this way. It says, my people hear my instruction. They listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known, and that our fathers have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but we will tell a, f- tell f- a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might, and the wondrous works he has performed. God was on the go. And as we start this journey through numbers, there are going to be situations in passage that perplex us, that catch us off guard. But what God is doing in the midst of this is he's cultivating himself a people who can accurately represent him to the nations so that people who don't know God and know what he is like begin the journey of going with God. And it always starts when instead of snacking on something temporary, trying to cope with life through something tangible or, meaning or less meaningful, that we actually cope, that we actually deal with it by remembering God's presence in our lives. And that enables us to then look outward and love and care. And now for them, they had a tangible presence in the tabernacle with God as that reminder of his presence. For us, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. For those who have trusted and followed Jesus and been baptized into him, have the Holy Spirit. And we need each other to remind each other when the journey gets difficult, when distractions arise, when we feel distraught. See, the presence of God shows up through each and every one of us. When we remind each other To not seek power or approval or control or substances to fill the distraughtness of our heart. But rather, remind us that it's God who provides. It's the God who rescues will also be the God of abundance. Generations Church. Imagine if we are people who cope with difficulty, not with food or drink but with God. Meaning in times of transition within our own lives, we look to the promises of God to sustain us. That we look to him to see the vision fulfilled, to see people come to know the name of the Lord and what he has done. See, complaining is looking at what's now and forgetting what's next. Calling on God is remembering what's next and helping that shape what's now. May we be people who call in the name of the Lord, who call each other to remember who Jesus is and what he has done. See, God didn't stay at a distance. He stepped out of heaven and came down to us to remind us and tangibly show us that he is love. He did that through Jesus, living a perfect life, dying the death on a cross, and raising victoriously. See, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of the destruction of even Jesus' body, 
on the other side of that was a resurrection, was hope, was victory, was the promise. Generations Church, if we are people who live every day, we must live, be people who live every day with the hope of that promise, of the hope that Jesus is coming back, that heaven is coming to earth through us. May we be people who live that way, that call on the name of the Lord and stop seeking snacks that don't really satisfy because they don't sustain. Let us pray. God, you are good. I just thank you for your love and for your grace and for where we find ourselves today. I look forward to just as we talk through your stories through the book of Numbers, God, that you remember who you are and the type of character you're trying to cultivate in us. God, that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have it all together. We just need to start stepping out in the journey and follow you. Thank you for your love and for your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.